Welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I'm very happy to have you uh, joining me today. I am very excited about this episode in particular. As a matter of fact, we, in, yeah, meet, we may end up going uh, a little bit long, and if we do, we're going to end up doing this in two episodes because the story uh, that I want to have shared with you today, I think you're going to find absolutely fascinating. I'm sitting today with uh, two fascinating gentlemen, um, uh, Jason Laura and uh, David Ab uh, Abrams, and they are the founders and owners of the Lux Group. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that just by way of introduction here. But before I go there, I want to uh, just kind of give a contextual frame for the soul of business. One of the things that I talk about a lot is that every organization has, at least when it was originally founded, a soul or a spirit that informs everything that it does. And over the course of uh, the life cycle of the business, what typically happens is that soul or founding spirit begins to disappear and decisions start to be made in service of the business primarily. And the mission that the uh, organization was founded to uh, deliver on begins to recede into the background. And that happens with just about every organization unless people are paying attention. So this uh, podcast, The Soul of Business, is designed very specifically to highlight organizations and ideas where people are actually paying attention and they are doing everything that they can to keep the spirit of the business, the soul of the business, in the forefront. And there's a very specific business reason for doing that. And we'll be talking about that in the course of this conversation with both Jason and, um, and David as we move forward here. So. A little bit about Lux Lab. Uh, first of all, I, I, just kind of a disclaimer: uh, it's, a, it's a, a, a beauty salon, and I get my hair cut here. And I've been coming here for about four years, five years now, something like that. And from the very moment I walked in the building, uh, I was just struck by how it felt. There was just something unique, and I've, you know, I've gotten my hair cut for years, um, but there was something incredibly unique about this place. And as I started getting to know the folks around here, particularly Jason, um, who is my stylist, I was really intrigued by what he talked about in terms of how the organization was put together, uh, what they paid attention to. And it was unique in my experience with you know, beauty salons, you know, with you know, just the, that, the industry itself, you know, first of all, but specifically with this area. So I want to give you a little bit of a background on Lux, uh, Lux Labs. You know, first of all, the Lux Group got started in 2002. Again, Jason, Laura, and David Abrams were the founder. Um, and just directly off their website here, um, they are behind some of Los Angeles' most successful stylists and innovative brands such as Lux Lab, um, the Blondade Lux uh, Lab Academy, Chroma Color Lab, that sort of thing. David and Jason have made their mark on the LA hair scene in a very different way. Yeah, as director of operations, Jason's management skills are unparalleled. His vision and drive have been the key in success of no less than 17 salons. Think about that, 17 salons to date. And with his unique background in interior design, Jason has traveled the world curating beautiful environments and cultivating successful hairdressers. A little pause there. That was a nice pause area. Yeah. Loud. 
David's expertise as creative director has grown out of a 25-year love affair with education, and in his time in the industry, David has inspired thousands from the platform to backstage, from behind the camera, and in the classroom. He's headed entire salons, created educational programs for three major organizations, and has been the uh, artistic director for over 15 salons. Together, they've produced countless photo shoots, fashion shows, stage performances, and educational events, as well as aided many fellow salon owners in transforming lackluster salons into world-class industry leaders. Jason and David and their elite team, and they've got quite a team, continue to be called upon by major beauty brands to lead educational training experiences, motivational talks, and business symposiums around the world. Never stop learning is the mantra that's embedded in the DNA of their core philosophy. Do the right thing for the right reasons every single time. This and other innovative philosophies, and we'll be talking about one of those in just a minute, the idea of perfect balance, uh, are the, some of the founding principles that I think has made Lux Group unstoppable and is constantly inspiring them to give back to their community and their industry. So that's the introduction to Lux Labs. I want to speak from my own personal experience, and I want to welcome both Jason and David to the podcast. So, gentlemen, it's good to have you here. Good Thanks morning, for having Blaine. us. <laughs> good morning, Blaine. Thank you. Yeah. So, the uh, Lux Labs. I mean, it's it's a group uh, of salons. It's a group. It's more than salons. There's a whole you know, universe that you've actually created here. Um, where did the idea for how this has come to be actually come from? As you, know, you, you both have got almost 50 years worth of experience combined here. You've been in this business a long time. So if you could, and you know, I'll, I'll just kind of you know, have each of you speak to this, where does the soul of the business come into play and how has that informed how you've actually developed your business because it's incredibly successful. So David, I, I guess I'll just start with you on this. Thanks. Um, I, I think that's one of those questions that is, uh, could potentially create a very long answer, but I'll try and keep it as short as I can. Um, a lot of it was informed by experiences that I and I assume Jason had in, in other uh, companies that we've worked for where it was almost more of a lesson what not to do and what, what we felt was, was missing. Um, and when we kind of came together and said we think we can do it better, a large portion of the reason that we thought that we could do it better was because we did see that there were areas in which uh, these companies, that some of them were fairly successful, um, had lost a sense of connection to what matters beyond um, numbers on a balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And so the soul of the business, I think, comes from, from really trying to be good people our entire lives and believing that uh, good business can also be created by being a good person and that there's a market for that. And, and in a really strange way, um, it sounds sort of self-serving to say so, and I don't, I don't mean to make it sound that way, but you know, this was an innovative concept 17 years ago. Um, yeah. People told me, I was told specifically straight to my face, David, you will never be a good businessman because you're too worried about being a good person. And they said it's us versus them, they said it's kill or be killed, they said all that stuff from the 80s that you know was uh, a part of the mantra in, in business. And I, I believed differently, not only because um, I thought it was possible, but I believed differently because I didn't want to be successful under those conditions. Yeah. I would much rather not participate if it was that. And, uh, yeah. and I found that to be uh, a sad statement on culture in general. The idea of comp compartmentalizing goodness, that you can be a good person at home, but you can be a cutthroat, terrible person in some other context. I don't believe that lines can be delineated that way. I think that they must be 
uh, one must carry over into the other if it's yeah. necessarily true. Yeah, I, I love that. I, you know, the notion of not compartmentalizing goodness, that is, yeah, <laughs> I've been in business for 45 years. Uh, that is something that uh, I see people trying to do all the time. So, uh, Jason, how about you? Kind of I, I believe that uh, the nucleus of the, of, of the good business is partnerships. And, and let me explain why. Because it's important that we value the same things. We can be different people, but what do we value? What's important? What's at the core of what's important to us? Uh, education, customer service, uh, uh, growth. Uh, we, we, we weigh our success on the success, success of others. Um, so from the very beginning, where we were, we've known each other. We've been in business for 17 years, but we've known each other for, gosh, I would probably say almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. And along the way, we would bump into each other, and we would say, aha, we were learning from other people saying, hmm, we could probably do this differently. We put that in our little bank. Because there was conversations about us actually getting together prior to the open this along together. Yeah. We just wanted to, to make sure that we're right partners. And by partners, I mean, you know, our understanding our strengths. Understanding that, you know, uh, that what David brings to the table is extremely important. And it's a very difficult job in the sense we're trying to teach something that, that's conceptual. You can take a very complicated haircut, for example, and teach that, or a very complicated way of performing on stage. You know, and he does that really well. Along with, you know, you need operations. You have you can have wonderful ideas, but you have to have someone to actually carry those ideas out. Um, we are selling not haircuts. We're selling increments of goodness, increments of happiness. That's actually David's line. So I. I stole that from him from the beginning because it was that. It's a wonderful thought. Uh -huh. the, 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 the idea is to make people happy, uh -huh. make them feel important, make them feel, um, how else would I say that? Um, they can reproduce the style that we've given them. And we actually, the, the, it's almost like the haircut is secondary. It's making them feel important and valued and, and have, them have a, an amazing experience in the salon. Yeah. I, I, increments of happiness, increments of goodness. I, you know, I, I, I love that phrase. Um, you and I, Jason, had a conversation uh, some time ago, actually, about uh, the way that your stylists connect with people. And you were noticing uh, that particularly some of the younger uh, stylists that were coming in didn't connect. They didn't pay attention to the same sorts of things that um, the two of you did when you first got in, in, into the business. And... The, you know, and part of this, I think, is um, you know, people's fa fascination with technology, so they've got their smartphones and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so what I heard in our conversation when you and I were talking was you taking time you know, through the educational process when you bring stylists in to have people learn how to connect with the client with a very specific intent. And, and that's where this you know, increments of goodness or increments of happiness comes into play. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I came in, and there was a whole gaggle of folks here. Uh, and David, you were kind of leading the, you know, the throng. And I asked Jason, "What's going on?" Because I hadn't seen that before. And it was a whole group of students coming in, and you guys were giving them an educational tour. And what I was struck with was uh, there was probably what forty people in that group, thirty something. You know, but you know, I think Jason, you said you'll probably end up having maybe one or two of them that actually will select in. 
Can you talk a little bit about your selection process for stylists, how you, how you actually bring people in, and how you match it to culture or values? Because that, I think, has been kind of the secret sauce here. Well, I think, I think that is it's the beginning, right? So if, if you begin things from the beginning, you have a better shot of getting where you intend to go. So <laughs> I would say that's, that's definitely a large, yeah. uh, a large portion of the success. And I get asked all the time and was asked in that group, um, so if I want to work here um, with excited eyes, um, what does it take? What are you looking for? What are the qualities that are most relevant to you in, in hiring? And the, the answer to that is, you know, it's as, as myriad as there are reasons for success, but the really most fundamentally important one is, are you a good person? Um, and the way that we, we view that is that we can teach you how to do just about anything in this industry. Between Jason and my experience, we've kind of done just about everything that there is to do. Um, so we have avenues, we have, we have all kinds of opportunities that we can help people to, to grow in because we have created those, those networks. But if you're not a good person, we can't teach you that, right? Mm -hmm. So teaching somebody to be a decent human being, that's kind of already set or not set. Um, and that uh, it, harmony becomes a large part of the conversation. So it's not when we talk to them about being a good person, it's not that we don't fight here or that there aren't occasional um, issues that come up or, or right. that people don't have egos. Everyone has an ego. It's a question of whether or not that ego becomes central and then how, if there is disharmony, um, how we then uh, graduate past the disharmony. Um, and so the harmony comes from the trust that you will be able to graduate the disharmony. Um, not that disharmony won't occur. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Because, yeah, every organ, I mean, it's just a relationship. You know, every organization is just a collection of people in relationship. And because it is relationships, there's going to be heads bumping. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 50 it. humans in a box is, yeah. uh, is a, a tinder box for, <laughs> for, for those moments. But it's also, there are also great moments of, yes, there, there may be you know, those moments. But if you've got someone's back and they know that you've got their back, in, in, in return, then it also leads to an inc some incredible moments and, and moments of trust. And when you're when you're dealing with artists in particular, and this may be true of all of society, I'm, I only deal with artists for the most part, but when you're dealing with artists, they've often been considered to be outcasts in their lives. They've often felt very different from everyone else, and they've often felt a lack of connection to the maybe even their families and certainly to the 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 society at large and so to create an, an environment where not only can they create and can they express that creativity but they can also belong it's a place to be mm -hmm. and we talk about creating a place to be and I think that 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 matters to humans in general we yeah. are pack animals after all and so when we talk about sustainability uh, for the long term I feel like understanding what human beings are and what motivates them is actually very large part of it as well so yes hiring good people but also understanding what people what do they want of course they want success of course they want money and that's why we all have a job but there are so many other contributing uh, factors that can that can make it a fulfilling experience as well and that I think is what creates longevity um, so yes hiring good people is the beginning and then fostering environments where people can feel like it's very hard to reproduce this experience ever anywhere else on an emotional level is the other part. That's the other part, yeah. So uh, operationally, how you do that makes a difference, I think. And uh, again, I, I'll go back over to you here, Jason. Um, I got a, uh, it, it wasn't a phone call, it wasn't even an email. Actually, I was sitting in a chair and we had this conversation. And you asked me if I knew um, uh, where you might have access to um, financial planner. 
uh, I don't know if you remember this, it was a couple of years back, but I said, well, yeah, I've got a couple of contacts that I might be able to reference you for. Uh, for what? And he says, well, you know, for our people, because these are young folks that haven't really spent a lot of time and really don't have, from a sophistication standpoint, a lot of information about how to financially plan for their future. And I was struck by that because I find that you actually pay attention to bringing in educational resources that are outside of uh, what would typically be considered the, 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 the salon domain. It's kind of like, you know, the whole idea of a whole person. Yeah, you want to be able to have them to the point here, you know, that, that uh, be a good person means, you know, you're healthy in all domains of your life. So there's, if, there's a long how list. How do you do that operationally? Well, there's a long list of uh, coaching and mentoring and pushing and pulling. And we feel that if we can uh, fully uh, ex expose the hairdresser to different ideas and concepts that will give him a better life and set him, then he will do better hair. In other words, you know, we also have classes. Because, by the way, these classes we do on weekly and monthly basis, consisting all the time. And... There's, we cut up the, the salon in groups so they have a team leader and then team leader is in charge to develop that, that their group and then every few months we switch again and that means everything from not only just hairdressing but also um, things like financial uh, uh, options uh, 401k uh, we even had uh, chiropractors doctors, facialists uh, uh, psychiatrists, coaches. acting coaches come in, and it's a slew of information that that will develop that hairdresser to where we want it to be. Uh -huh. And and how do how do your stylists take to that? I mean, how, what's their experience with that? Well, a, a couple of things. First of all, they they enjoy that, and they've never had it from, from that from anyone else, um, and they take it to heart, and I think it's yeah. very valuable to them. Yeah, I would think know. that 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 approach is very unique to Lux Lab. I would. I, I don't know. I've never heard of another salon doing anything like that. I think that's probably true. I mean, there, <laughs> there may be other salons that we, we just don't know of, but yeah. you know, again, it goes back to that, that not creating a, a boundary between work and, and outside of work. Um, yeah. it, we believe that if we can make a happier, uh, better developed human in life, then that makes a happier, better developed stylist in, in here. And yeah. And not only do we get a happier, better developed stylist, but we also get to feel that we're a more significant part of that person's life. And I find it personally infuriating when um, people view hairdressers as pretty little children and pat them on their little heads and uh, say, don't talk about numbers in front of these people because they don't get it. You know, meanwhile, I also see generations of hairdressers working into their 70s because nobody took the time or, you know, it, it isn't their natural inclination, a lot of them. And so we, we don't. I don't. I don't believe in treating people that way. I yeah. think that, again, being a good person should and, and is actually good business. So yeah, I, I think it's 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 paramount. It's imperative. And we actually view this is another thing that I think makes us maybe a little bit different. We don't view our stylists as employees. I think, you know, one of the questions that we get asked is how many people work for you, and and I'm always I always bristle at the question mm -hmm. because I don't think we have people that work for us. I think we have people that work with us. Um, we view our stylists as our clients. In other words, people say, well, well, how do you advertise? We don't advertise. We don't really need to advertise beyond social media, which is a normal part of what you kind of have to do these, these days. But we don't advertise because we believe that getting and fostering and keeping the best talent in the city is advertisement enough. And so we treat our, our, our hairdressers, our, really all of our staff, 
as though they are not only our equals, but that they're our clients. We, we try to create and facilitate an environment that is most conducive to their overall sense of, of well-being. And that includes their, hap their happiness of their clients, because that's part of their well-being. So of course the client matters as well. Yeah. But the client is a, is a sort of addition, an adjunct to the, the real client who is the stylist. That, that philosophy, I think, is fundamentally unique. And if every organization was able to tap into something like that, you know, that the people that work with us are our clients. And that, when we treat them as they are, our clients, that's going to trickle out and it's going to trickle down and it's going to trickle back. Yeah. To the, you know, being a good person is good for business. Right, right. <laughs> that whole philosophy. Um, yeah, you also, you know, started um, the academy. Can you talk a little bit, Jason, about you know the academy, and I'll, I'll bring you into this too as well, David. But yeah, the, again, I think that you know, a couple of other other uh, uh, salons you know, that I'm familiar with have academies of sorts. But yours seems to be a little bit unique in terms of how you actually approach. I will start, but David would be best since he is in charge of the academy. But we feel that we want to pass the good word on, mm -hmm. and how do we do that? You know, uh, so we found that the best way to do it is to actually hold academy classes, but teach them of our philosophy as well. And hopefully that will trickle down to the owners and uh, the art directors and the people that really th that can move the salon. Um, David, you want to? Um, sure. I mean, the academy for us was, it started out as, as just a way to teach our, our own people. Um, you know, when, when we, when in, in our industry, there's a lot of cannibalization people take from other salons and think that that's going to be the key to their success. If I can just grab this other successful stylist from this other salon, mm -hmm. they will bring a lot of clients and that will help our salon be successful. Um, th that ends up creating not only an incestuous environment, but it, it ends up creating an environment where there is no loyalty and people are just jumping around. And, and I don't believe that that creates sustainable long-term you know, success. So, um, so we believed from the very beginning that that imbuing our young people with our philosophy and with our technical knowledge, that combination of those two things would, would make it so that they not only were better rounded, because often these guys came in with terrible attitudes from the outside, or, or even they might be really good at one thing, but they were really not good at another thing, which then was a bad example for everyone else. So not only were we able to sort of train them better, but we were also able to create uh, a stylist who was enculturated from day one on exactly who we are. It also ends up being a weeding process. Those who can make it, make it, and those who don't make it, don't make it. And we have an expectation that people will not make it. As a matter mm -hmm. of fact, if everybody started to make it, we would make it harder, because mm -hmm. that's the way that you kind of get the best of the best. And so um, the academy comes from that basic concept of, of fusing um, technical with success training, fusing those two things with life training. And, and the message is meant to sort of all filter in from different directions. And the academy then expanded from there into, uh, rather than just being for internal purposes, um, it then expanded from there to a partnership with L'Oreal Professional as being one of only a couple of partner academies in, in the United States um, to give that training to the outside. Uh, we had been hired multiple times to go to other salons or other places from Seattle to London to whatever. Um, to, to teach, and we realize that, that there may actually be a market for this, but it's also another chance for us to spread what we believe to be you know, helpful and, and good information. And so the Academy was born um, and is now accessible to outside stylists, and we remain committed to constantly trying to innovate and bring new concepts to that while 
retaining the thing that matters ultimately the most to us, which is that we, you know, we can go to sleep at night and we don't feel like we're we're taking advantage, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. You you mentioned the word innovation. Uh, yeah. You know, early on in the uh, you know, beginning of the interview, you, you, I think David, you said yeah. And Jason and I together have seen just about everything that can be seen in, in, in the industry. Um, how do you keep innovation alive, and how do you actually use innovation as a way to keep the organization fresh and to keep its spirit actually uh, vital? Well, if you if you haven't been able to tell yet, um, I am a compulsive overthinker, <laughs> and so I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. Uh -huh. And um, and so you know, I think the one constant that we said from the very beginning, the only constant that we wanted to have here was our philosophical standard, like the core values that Jason was referring to earlier, and um, the constant of change. We never wanted to, to, to rest. We believe that the moment you think you got it figured out is the exact same moment when uh, inevitably you begin to become irrelevant. That's when irrelevance sets in. And so evolution is a large part of it. And, and that comes from partially uh, our history and, and understanding and my background in, in the fashion development part. In other words, I used to create uh, looks but also forecasts for you know what haircutting is going to be like and however much time frame and in doing so there's actually a process of analyzing culture at large and saying well where do we think things are going to go and so there are all kinds of culturally relevant criteria that i would use to try to incorporate into that process of creating whatever look it was that that we thought was going to be important Fascinatingly, I think business is exactly the same. You analyze the cultural landscape, you look at what's going on outside and how people are feeling, and all of that is, uh, is then interpreted and filtered through this idea of how do we keep things relevant for the client right now. And so, you know, 17 years ago when we first opened, it was super innovative for us to say, you know what, we have a policy, you're not gonna run more than 10 minutes behind or we're gonna have to do something more serious. It used to actually be, for example, that you would keep people waiting as a matter of course because you wanted to seem in demand, right? Yeah. But we began to see, now it's totally normal, but we began to see back then that, that, wow, people, it's not only disrespectful, but people's time is becoming more valuable than their money. And so we started to incorporate these things. And my point being that we just listen, we keep our, our ear to the ground, both from our stylists and from our clients, but also just from listening to, listening to the world. And, um, and along the way, we plan on, this is maybe my biggest message when I go talk to other salon owners, we plan on making, let's say, 10 major uh, business-altering decisions a year. But we also plan on about half of them not working. Uh -huh. We plan on failure. We plan on um, assuming that a percentage of these things that we're going to try that seem like really awesome ideas at the outset may have a fatal flaw or just don't work. And so... We, we shed those relatively quickly, and then we bring on new ones, and at mm -hmm. the end of the year, we're left with five good decisions and hopefully no bad decisions, and then the next year, we add five more and shed five more, and now we have 10 good decisions and no bad decisions. Yeah. And so I think there's this terror out there by a lot of people that I know that one false move and the whole thing gets capsized, and I actually don't see it that way at yeah. all. So change is a natural part of growth, mm -hmm. and if you're not changing, you're not growing. So. You've, in the way that you're describing this, you've really embraced that in the way that the business is run. It's got to have an impact on your, your stylist, for sure. Um, but you're also, I think, impacting the industry. And I'm going to specifically go to an innovation that you've just you know, embarked on this year, which is the green you know, piece. And my, my words for it, not necessarily yours. 
So, Jason, uh, you know, director of operations here. I mean, there's, you know, this was a major decision. Number one, yes, it was fraught with some very interesting economic implications, mm -hmm. but it was also very consistent with the value core of Lux Lab. That's correct. So, can you talk a little bit yes, about yes. what you did? Um, you know, our industry, uh, we are quite guilty of massive waste, color tubes, plastic containers, uh, even the. the uh, when we serve drinks, you know, think about that. We're doing 450, 500 clients a week. That's a lot of waste that we produce. And even though uh, West Hollywood and, and Santa Monica are the leaders in, in recycling, it, they still couldn't recycle a lot, of the, a lot of the tubes, for example, of color, simply because there's chemical in the tubes, um, and they couldn't separate that, so they would just go into the landfill. We found the company, and not only they grind it up, wash it, clean it, and separate it. This company will also make uh, hair booms mm -hmm. that will will uh, soak up uh, oil from oil spills um, they are making boxes out of hair they are they so you're recycling the hair that's, that's correct cut. as well that yeah. is that's fascinating and yeah. um, also another important thing that it does go to uh, in the system where people are getting paid to actually produce product from uh, the waste uh, David did an amazing uh, uh, talk about that uh, last month, right, about uh, about this, and I encourage you to actually go on their site and listen to what David has to say about that because we're trying to get more people on board to do this. We're when we first started doing this, I believe we were only the second or third salon in the whole LA area, and now there's like 15. Um, so the message that David was putting out there uh, made sense to a lot of people, and people are switching over. So we're trying to just get more people to be on board with that. So as an industry, I mean, basically, you have taken the leadership role here. And it's, there is a cost involved there. Uh, yes, so the cost is, this is actually passed on to the client, and clients seem to be okay with that. I was going to ask about that. So there's, uh, the way that you've positioned it, and, and you know, the audience can't see the, the salon, but yeah, you've taken that and you've actually you know, changed the salon. Yeah, the the aesthetics of it are very different. We've changed the lighting to low voltage lighting. Yeah. We only use paper straws when people ask for them. We um, have a, a low volume washer so that we don't use lots of water, and we're just very conscious of of the of what needs to what can be repurposed. Mm -hmm. That's important. To us. Yeah, and and how have your stylists taken to that? High, highly embraced. It was, yeah. it's a it's a good thing. Yeah, so. That's that's I, I love that. Uh, you know, when you started talking about it, you know, with me, you know, the first of this year, uh, I was just fascinated that uh, you would take that on, uh, and, and actually, for me, you know, one of the things that I work with a lot is you know business taking responsibility for the whole because there's nothing, yeah, in the world that isn't touched by the you know, the, the activity of business. I mean, everything is touched. So when you throw something away, where is away? Also, I might add that uh, the. Kerasoft's uh, product that we use, they're using 30% less plastic in their containers. So even the, the companies that we seek out to work with, we're concerned about their waste in yeah. addition. And yeah. so that's you know, going up the supply chain as well as out into yeah. the consumer chain. Yeah, I mean, we really felt like we were hitting punched in the stomach um, uh, about a year, year and a half ago when we learned that despite our city's uh, local recycling program, of which we were participating um, and throwing all of our metal waste such as foil from highlights and color tubes as Jason had mentioned and and how we thought hair is biodegradable and it technically is 
um, but how all of this stuff that we thought was was being sort of responsible for for our environment or being responsible for our environment and that we believed that we were being decent stewards of our environment when we found out that something like 80 percent of our waste was going straight into the the landfill because of the fact that they won't process color tubes or foils because they have uh, hazardous waste on them. Um, that even though hair is biodegradable, it, once it sits in a pile of other stuff, there's not enough oxygen for it to actually degrade, and so it just sits there and, and becomes uh. you know, another choking thing in, in, the, in the landfill. And so we sought out uh, what the options were, and we found a company called uh, Green Circle, uh, and they're very new and very young, and and, uh, but they were very innovative in the way that they were approaching it as well. And it's expensive, um, but, uh, but they, as Jason said, they create oil booms, they create plastics out of hair, they cr they're, they're, they're using it for reinforcement of construction materials, they're, they're, um, they're burning off the color for, for energy, and then they're taking the metal and recycling the metal. And so now the, the, the ratio is flipped. Now something like 90 to 95% of what we what we consume is either reused, repurposed, or recycled, and um, and then yeah, we passed it on to, to the customer, and and this goes back to core values because we have had a few customers who have said, well, I don't want to have to to pay for this. I didn't ask for this responsibility, and and our take is essentially, well, you know, we understand and appreciate and respect that, but maybe we're not the right salon for you. You know, we yeah. adhere to our values to to that degree. Um, and same thing with uh, we have a certain perspective on on how we treat your hair if you expect us to do something outside of that maybe we're not the salon for you um, if you want to mistreat our staff uh, because you think waving a dollar bill in the air makes you valuable um, maybe we're not the salon for you mm -hmm. and so we do we do try to adhere to those core values not just as it relates to having a really good conversation in some back room somewhere yeah. we're really doing our best to, to enforce that and it's not just the the recycling programs I mean we also support local charities and just constantly doing some sort of something for for our community. Mm -hmm. Integration into the community has been a large part of, I think, what's also made us successful. Is that we are not just trying to be a parasite on the back of our community. What we're trying to do is actually fully integrate into the community and become a benefit to the community. Um, and that mutual beneficial relationship creates a symbiosis that also helps to enhance longevity. So in essence, we're having the hairdresser uh, Connect and participate and give back. Yep. And you know, like David said, you know, uh, we were involved in um, Trevor Project, uh, APLA, um, Cystic Fibrosis, the Red Cross, Red Cross, uh, Chrysalis, which is a wonderful program where it gets people back to work. Yep. Uh, what we basically do, you know, image is really important for for self esteem, and we get these women to come in here. We treat them just as they were clients, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful process because we've actually had women say. Uh, you know, thank you so much for this. I've been treated really, really well, and I feel so much better about this. I'm going to go out and look for a job. Um, we have clothing drives, shoe drives, um, and everyone participates, and it's a good thing. Yeah. So it's not just the business of the business. Yeah. It's the salon is actually a steward of the, the uh, of, of, uh, not only the environment, but also of uh, the community of, of which you're a part. I mean, you're actually uh, what I'm hearing is that you as a business take on the responsibility for stewarding. Yeah. Agreed, and I think responsibility is the right word. I think that too many people abdicate responsibility of what their actions are, are creating or leaving in their wake. And, you know, I don't even know if your listeners know this, but uh, 
we believe we're a part of the fashion industry. We don't think we're in the hair industry. Um, we think we're part of the fashion industry because you can't have a great suit and a bad hairdo. Hairdo still looks terrible. You can't have a great hairdo and a bad suit it still looks terrible. So, um, so we believe we're part of the fashion industry. We're we're led by the same compelling factors and so on. Um, however, as it relates to this particular part of the conversation, um, what most people don't know is that aside from the number one polluter, which we all know being oil, um, the second biggest polluter of the planet is actually fashion. And uh, Interesting. from the dye process to the waste, the, the, the sort of disposable nature of modern fashion, it's just massive, massive, massive impact on, on the environment. And I don't see why um, the fashion industry gets a pass. I don't know why everybody can openly hate on the, uh, the oil industry and feel really good about themselves. Meanwhile, you don't really hear anybody talking about the second biggest polluter. And so we believed as a part of that, that industry that it was our responsibility to do what we could not only to change ourselves, but then, as Jason referred to uh, before, I, I flew to Toronto and I shot a video with the people from Green Circle, and then they used that as sort of a outreach campaign. And, and they actually just spoke to me the other day, and they said that it's just been a phenomenal uh, amount of growth since they've, they've uh, taken on our partnership and since they've released this particular video. And we're so proud uh, and so grateful to be a part of, of that expansion of, of their business. And hopefully, this won't be innovative in in a year or two or whatever it takes, you know, that, that we will be very commonplace and everybody will wonder, you know, uh, what it was like before people cared about. Yeah. That. And this is just the That's beginning. I think we'll continue in that process. We're also exploring the idea of refillable containers of mm -hmm. shampoo and conditioner, uh -huh. which will be coming two or three months from now. All right. So we're just exploring that process as well. Another innovation. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring my bottle in. <laughs> so good. Being a good person is good for business. Being a good salon is good for business. Being a good business is good for business. I mean, that's kind of the net of, of what it is that I think I'm hearing from you guys. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, you know, you, you mentioned three three things. We, we refer to it as the three wins. It's, uh, you know, one of Jason's favorite things, which is, you know, is it good for the brand, right? Is it good for the business? And is it good for the, the client, really, the hairdresser and the client? And, yeah. and so these, these three wins are the same things that kind of you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, they all lead back to the same ultimate place, yeah. just in different verbiage, I think. So all decisions that we make in the song are based on those three things. And that's I our management that. training. You know, this is our management training. Do the right thing for the right reason every single time. Yep. <laughs> and then how does it benefit those, those parts of our business? So those, it, those are your business metrics. And if Basically. you don't know, if you don't know what the answer is to how to handle a particular situation, think about it through that filter, mm -hmm. and that will at least give you a pretty good shot as a manager of going in a, in a very, uh, very good direction. Good for the brand. Good for the good for the client. Client and good for the hairdresser. And good for the hairdresser. Yeah. So okay. that everyone benefits. If you can't answer yes to all three Great. of those questions, then we need to think again more creatively. Now, when I talked at the beginning of uh, the interview with you guys, I said, yeah, there's a point in just about every organization's growth where decisions are made in service of the business at the expense of the mission. And that almost becomes an invisible process, but there's, a, there's an inflection point where that almost always occurs unless you're paying attention. Having this three, th the three win yes. uh, philosophy, that keeps um, the mission in front of the business. Yeah, it's a fifty-one forty-nine proposition, but uh, yeah, I think there's one other thing that we add to that, which I, I completely agree. I mean, that filter helps keep us keep us honest all the time. But I think the other thing that's that's added to it is that we believe um, 
and I'm sure this isn't unique, but we don't put systems together in support of business. So we're a very systematic organization. Mm -hmm. We believe that we should systematize everything if we can. And so it's not that we don't have systems, it's that we don't have systems in support of numbers. Um, we have systems in support of philosophies. And so how do we create systems that support our philosophies? Now our philosophy is also success. So mm -hmm. it's not that we don't have success-oriented systems. It's just that that is only a part of what the system is really there designed for. For example, when Jason was talking about uh, increments of happiness, what, um, what we really wanted to do, for example, was during review processes, you'd sit there and, and talk about all these numbers and people would sit down and go, oh, all they care about is business because all they're talking about is numbers. But in fact, the numbers are really just a measuring stick. They're yeah. a way of, of really saying, well, how well is are things going? And so I really wanted to get rid of the, the dollar sign and come up with our own symbol that took the dollar sign away. So we weren't talking about dollar signs anymore. Yeah. We were talking about these increments of happiness. Yeah. But that's really what we want to measure, and that's really what our clients value and really what we sell. And I think, you know, if you were to, for example, tick off a box when you're filling out your IRS forms, what industry are we in? Um, the only one that fits is service. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fascinating, that particular prospect. To be in the service business, what does it mean to be of service? Um, you're not creating haircuts, you're creating an emotional connection, all the things that Jason talked about, but you're also being of service, right? That's really what this means. And mm -hmm. so as a, as a salon organization, that's what we believe in terms of how we facilitate our client experience, but it's also how we believe that we facilitate our hairdressers experience. Yeah, perfect. On that note, I think I'm gonna bring it to a close. Um, Jason, David, this is fascinating. I mean, I, I actually look forward to coming back and having another conversation with, with the two of you. Um, where can people go to get more information about the salon? What would be the URL uh, and also the Green Circle uh, talk okay. that you gave? Uh, well, we can start with greencirclesalons.com. Um, so greencirclesalons, uh, with an S, dot com. And we are just at luxlab.com, L-U-X-E-L-A-B.com. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at, at luxlab. And yeah, that's, that's it. Okay. And if we can offer any information that your, your listeners might want from us, they're more than welcome to give us a call or get in touch with their website and we will speak to them. Okay. Gentlemen, I want to thank you very much. Uh, Jason, Laura. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure. Yeah, David Abrams, Lux Lab. Um, this is Blaine Bartlett. I want to thank you for listening uh, to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett and I'll be back with you uh, in our next episode. Thanks. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.